Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. Uh, I got a uh, an email. God, it might have been a year ago now. I'm just going back over old emails. And let's see, what was that guy's name? Uh, Kevin Cartet from Liverpool, England. And he was suggesting I do some stories on some different people over in Liverpool. Uh, I haven't really done anything outside the United States for a while. And there's organized crime everywhere. <laughs> especially with narcotics. So let's uh, let's talk. I did a little research and there's a guy named Curtis Warren, born in 1963. Uh, and by 1969, uh, whoops, correction on that, by 2009, he was listed as the number one target on Interpol's list of the most active European gangsters now. And he came from, uh, you know, a uh, uh, He's not a mob legacy, as we see sometimes here in the United States. Uh, Curtis Warren was born to, uh, uh, his father was Curtis Aloysius Warren, who was a seaman in the uh, Norwegian Merchant Navy, and was actually was born in uh, South America. Came from working class family, had a brother and a sister, and grew up in in Liverpool. One time, uh, interesting, let's tell you a little bit about Mr. Warren here. At one time, he was released from a local jail and, and a copper said, you know, I think he's turned his life around. And, and he went out and he started working as a bouncer at Liverpool nightclubs. But it was here after he got out of that little jail sentence for some kind of, a, you know, hooligan kind of uh, stuff. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, he learned about the drug trade because, you know, bouncers control these hot clubs and cocaine dealers go in and out of there. That's where they, they find customers. They like to party themselves. It's a cocaine, uh, especially back then when this guy got going, was a, it was a party drug. I remember in the 70s, it was, it was all about party, kind of a high-end party drug. Well, he got to know some of these uh, dealers and, and befriended them, give them, give them, you know, like let them beyond the uh, velvet uh, ribbon, if you will, or is that what they call it beyond, beyond inside and jump the line. And, and they gave him education on that. So uh, he started into the drug trade. And, and in the 1980s, when it was hopping and, and he had done a little personal sales, he fell in with a Middlesbrough businessman named Brian Charrington. Uh, by 1991, uh, they used his Charrington's personal yacht they sailed to France and then traveled to Venezuela on their British passports and had some connections by then with the Cali cartel. And, and they made an arrangement to start a big time smuggling operation uh, directly from Colombia to Liverpool. And they were going to conceal the cocaine in lead ingots and pack those in steel boxes. I'm not, you know, that you, you couldn't penetrate those with any radar and see any funny things inside the lead ingots. There must have been a, uh, a traffic anyhow. They must mine lead in uh, Venezuela and South America and then bring that lead to, uh, to Liverpool. Uh, when this first load got there, the uh, customs and excise agents, they call them over there, Her Majesty's Customs and Excise Agents uh, cut open one ignit and found nothing, and they let the shipment pass on through. And, but somebody was ratting them out, so the, the Dutch police let the English police know that there were some drugs being held in steel boxes, but by then, they had gotten them out of there. 
then they had a second shipment come in shortly after that, uh, during that time of, of uh, 2,000 pounds of cocaine. So this was big time cocaine dealing. When they land, when that shipment landed a couple of years later in 1992, uh, the British coppers came down on them and they arrested this uh, businessman, Brian Charrington, and, and our friend Curtis Warren. Uh, but it turned out that Charrington was a police informant and it looked like that. You know, maybe he set this whole deal up. The the people who were his handlers were mad. It was it was just kind of a mess, and uh, and so they you know a lot of came out about our friend Warren at that time. For example, uh, the police would would say it in trial or in the court in front of the court that that how well Warren was informed about how the customs people worked in England and, and in Liverpool, particularly, he knew that how long the largest drill bit was that, that they would drill down in to check on things like ingots like that. In the end, a uh, conservative member of parliament named Tom Devlin arranged a meeting and with customs and ordered him to drop the charges against Charrington. Uh, case was dropped and, and Warren was acquitted of all charges after that without Charrington on board. Supposedly, as Curtis Warren walked out of the jail, he said to some customs agents that were standing there watching him walk out, he said, I'm off to spend my 87 million pounds from the first shipment. You can't touch me. And it was reported a few months later, he was seen driving a 70,000 pound BMW, which was registered to Charrington of all people. But he was driving, he had now 70,000 pounds for our, our American friends is what about $150,000. Warren came back to Liverpool, uh, started his operation up again, but there were several killings of other organized crime figures at the time. And and the cops were hot on his tail, so he decided to move. And so he decided to move. 1995, Curtis Warren relocated to a villa in the Netherlands. He owned, uh, by this time, he owned casinos in Spain, uh, a disco in Turkey, a vineyard in Bulgaria, and land in Gambia, which is, I believe it would be Africa. He had money stashed away in Swiss bank accounts. He could have retired rich, but, you know, greed will always get you. It, 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 greed will always get you, man. Uh, Police were still monitoring some of his contacts in the UK. Uh, they noticed that Warren never uh, had any kind of, uh, never called out any names, always used code words, seemed to keep everything in his mind. And later they would find out that he had a photographic memory. He had every detail, uh, including his Swiss bank account numbers in his mind. He never wrote anything down. Uh, he had unlimited credit line from the cartels in South America and with uh, marijuana traffickers from Turkey and, and Eastern Europe. And, and the cops are all over him. In, in October 1996, they raided his villa and, and other property he owned in the Netherlands. Uh, he was arrested with several of his associates. They found guns and ammunition, hand grenades, uh, 400 uh, kilograms, which is about 880, about 900 pounds of cocaine had about 3,300 pounds or 1,500 kilograms of, uh, of uh, marijuana or cannabis resin, uh, and 60 more kilograms or 130 pounds of heroin, uh, 110 pounds of ecstasy. Uh, they found in $600,000 in US cash, a uh, whole 
hall was estimated by the police. You know, you put we, we cops would go in and, and we get all that stuff and we put drugs and money on the table for the uh, news people who come and photograph. I've been involved in that myself. And and they estimated that the whole hall was worth one hundred twenty five million dollars, which, again, is roughly what? Uh, Two hundred million dollars, maybe one hundred fifty million. I'm not sure. It's it's uh, it's not double uh, the dollar. The pound is not double the dollar, but it's maybe one and a half times more. The last time I checked, uh, 1998. Our friend Curtis Warren is out on bond right now, and and he's listed in the Sunday Times rich list, which I don't know what that is. You guys in England will know that that he is a property developer. Uh, they think he's a property developer, and he has an estimated uh, forty million pounds. Uh, at his disposal. Of course, some of these court cases start coming out. They took him off the Sunday Times rich list. But this guy, you know, coming from a seaman's son, uh, four roots on the docks of, Le- of uh, Liverpool, became a bouncer uh, to on the uh, Sunday Times rich list with 40 million pounds is, is something. Uh, subsequently, he, he goes to trial in court. Uh, they they want to show that he's... Uh, been shipping South American cocaine to Bulgaria by now. Uh, he had this vineyard over at Bulgaria and he used that as a cover. Uh, he said that drugs were suspended in wine for onward ship, shipping back to the Netherlands and to Liverpool in the UK. Uh, they had, uh, by this point in time, the, the cops in England had captured and seized uh, illegal goods, drugs, and wine valued at 125 million pounds. Uh, off this case, he got he, he got twelve years in jail, uh, and that's in the Netherlands. They found, as they did more forensic accounting investigation, they found twenty million pounds of his estimated one hundred twenty million pound fortune, but none of that could be legally touched, and they really only found the twenty million pounds. Now, when he's in the penitentiary from this last case in nineteen ninety nine. Uh, he had a fight in a prison yard with a Turkish national uh, named Simal Gusli. Uh, this dude was in uh, Dutch. This dude was in the Dutch prison for twenty-year sentence for murder and attempted murder. I'm not sure what that was about. There's a lot more to that story. I'm sure. It said that as Gallucci walked toward him and tried to punch him in the face, uh, Curtis Warren parried it. He was, he was an old bouncer and a street fighter. Uh, had a short fight. Lucci fell to the ground and Warren started kicking him. You know, you get a guy down and a deal like that in a penitentiary, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kill or be killed sometimes. And, and he kicked him in the head four times. He got up, Warren knocked him down again, knocked him down so hard or he hit his head also and he was unconscious and, and he kicked him some more and he never recovered from it and he died in the hospital. Now, then they tried him uh, for that fight uh, while he was in the penitentiary and his defense, of course, was self-defense. Uh, ended up finding him guilty of manslaughter, and he, because the judge would say the defendant used excessive violence, uh, he sentenced him to another four years. Supposed to get out in 2014. In 2002, while the Dutch police are investigating a Bulgarian shipment that's connected to Warren's operation, uh, they got an asset seizure war. Uh, they got an asset seizure order against him. Uh, to get more money from him and, and more goods, uh, they could only find 180,000 pounds, but they charged him to repay 26 million 
Gilders, this is, I forgot this is in, uh, in uh, the Netherlands, which is about $14 million under their proceeds of crime act, or they get an added, he gets an added five years in penitentiary, which would extend his release date to 2019. He ended up making a deal with the Dutch cops and, and paid them $8 million in order to not get five more years in prison. I've seen that a lot here in the United States. They, if they will, if you've got a big time dealer, and you got all these variety of charges on them by the time you actually charge them, if they will not resist any of your forfeiture and show you where assets are that you haven't found, and especially cash, and but property too, and go along with a seizure, then they can basically buy a reduced sentence. And, and that's happened many, many times over the years. But even while he's in jail, uh, the Dutch authorities charge him with, again, with running an international drug smuggling cartel from his prison cell. Uh, he was moved around many times during this time, supposedly for his own safety. I think they're probably trying to, <laughs> anytime you move a guy, you strip, go, get to go through his cell and, and upset him and, and throw him in with other people. You're more likely to find out information on him. So I'm not sure exactly. Uh, more than likely, that was probably the cops doing that, not really for his safety. Uh, ended up getting a guilty conviction on that, appealed it, and ended up getting released from prison in June 2007. The British, he's in the, he's in the Netherlands. The British won't give him a passport. The Irish and the Portuguese won't give him a passport where he tried. Uh, they called him a... Uh, the uh, United Kingdom, they have a serious organized crime agency, and, and they labeled him a lifetime offender and put him in a lifetime offender management program. And they used the code name Operation Floss on him, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. Uh, during that time, his uh, former right hand man, a guy named Colin Smith, is shot dead while he's leaving the gym. Uh, Operation Floss is going and they're going after him again. So he's still operating, even though he's been in jail all this time. The uh, serious organized crime agency calls the Jersey police and informed them that Warren had arrived at Manchester, England airport, and he paid cash for his plane ticket. So they started following him. And while he was there, he was with a Liverpool, known Liverpool criminal associate named Taffin Carter. And he now lives in Jersey. And I have to assume that must be the island of Jersey. Um, drove around various locations in, in, in Jersey. So Jersey is a island out in the English Channel. So after he was seen in Jersey, the Jersey police started an operation on Warren and anybody that he was seen with while he was there because they sell drugs in Jersey too. And they set up bugging devices and telephones and on this guy uh, that he was seen with, a guy named Taffin Carter on Taffin Carter's girlfriend. During this time, they learned that another friend of Curtis Warren's a guy named John Welsh was traveling from Jersey to Amsterdam and, and he, they followed him there and he met a Moroccan named uh, Mohammed Lizid. Jersey police tried to bug Welsh's car while he was there and they couldn't get permission uh, and bugged the car anyway. And then just figured they'd deal with it in court later on. In the subsequent operations, uh, the special organized crime 
task force monitored Warren back in Liverpool, and the Dutch monitored this uh, uh, Mohammed Lezad in Amsterdam, uh, started finding different phones they were using and threw taps on those. They also found out that, that Warren had three British and one Jersey mobile phones, and he'd made as many as 1,500 telephone calls in three weeks between there and, and telephone call boxes, uh, pay phones, in Northwest of England and Wales, uh, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, Chester, uh, and, and these were all to Lizad. 2007, uh, he's arrested again over a conspiracy to smuggle drugs after a joint investigation between the Jersey police, the Merseyside police, uh, the special operations group, and, and Belgium, French, and, and Dutch police. Pled not guilty. Uh, after that, there was a two-year legal argument over the uh, bugging of this John Welsh's car. Finally, they ended up offering him a deal. Plead, plead guilty to an eight-year jail term. There'd be no confiscation of assets, but he turned that down. He was going to go for it. In the end, he was found guilty for conspiracy to smuggle marijuana, and he, and he, got, and he got 13 years in prison for that plot. The Jersey police are looking into his wealth with the aim of confiscating his gains again. You know, I, I tell you what, that's uh, we did that a lot here. You pick out a guy that had a seventy thousand dollar car and say, "Let's go get that car." I remember we had a guy that that had a uh, a classic restored fifty five Chevy, a fifty four fifty five Chevy pickup that was beautiful. And one of my guys, he said, "You know, we got to go after that guy. We got to get that truck. We'd look pretty good driving that around." Of course, you couldn't really use that as an undercover car or anything, but uh, but that this is a pretty common thing. It's one of the complaints about that, that people have about the police and this uh, civil forfeiture thing is taking drug dealers because you end up choosing choosing your targets uh, more from what you can get out of them than than maybe what uh, would be more successful in interrupting the the flow of drugs. And you might miss some other people that I know guys, uh, I knew one guy that uh, he wasn't drug dealer, but he had another operation going, stolen cars, and it was a pretty good size operation. And he he intensely wore overalls around. He he, he did go to strip clubs, but he was not, he kind of liked that life. He had a lot of contacts. Other people would steal cars for him and, and help him out with his stolen car operation. He, when he was in town, he would drive and go around these clubs or anytime he was in Kansas City where he was based out of, he would drive an old crappy car. Uh, but when we went out of town, he, uh, I got to know him and he told me once that uh, he'd always rent like a Rolls Royce and they'd go out to Vegas or they'd go out to uh, L.A. and Southern California and, and the party and get away from people. Why he, He'd like rent, you know, do everything, the top, top end and everything. They get done. They, they are moving on him again to confiscate his drugs. He's got this sentence, but then he uh, appeals it and he appeals it again. He's ended up ordered to pay 198 million pounds from a confiscation order or get another 10 years in jail. I tell you what, uh, he lost his appeal over his failure to order that or pay that order. And he's still in, and he's still in prison today. Uh, matter of fact, his most recent crime, this guy's a player, man. <laughs> his most recent crime was he was charged with having, uh, 
sexual contact with a, a female prison guard. So for you English guys and Kevin Cantet, that's the story of, of one of your bigger drug dealers uh, out of Liverpool, England, Curtis Warren. Thanks, folks.